Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Sit over your shoulder at your homework. I want a list of the ones. I need to go through and make a list of everyone we've covered. The list exists. Where? Well, I'll tell you what there is. Why don't I have the list? Quoting Miss Kirsten. Yeah, I am. Good. Why don't I have the list? It's a document Kirsten and I share. You can you were copied in on the Google Doc. And I've just not at the very beginning. Yeah, and I'm just not. And there's also, what I've also done is because we print our things out, I've kept all the printed copies and I've got a big folder at home with all Mm. of the stories in it. So what you're saying is I should just text you if I'm unsure. (laughs) No. I um, don't want to be part of the Google. Oh, do you know what I did do though? What? I went on our Facebook. Oh, have you gone on it? I went on it. How recently? A couple of days ago. Oh, okay, because there's everyone's, something on today I thought your sister might have no, mentioned to you. everyone's really nice. They are. Everyone's really nice on there. Oh. And I, like, scrolled. I, I went deep <laughs> and I read comments. And people are really nice. And I was scared. I did it in my bathroom. They are lovely. Yeah. Well, if you didn't go on today, oh. that was something that went on today and uh, your sister responded to it. Oh, yes, she told me about this. Have a look. Tell yes, I share. know. It's my surname on a Coke bottle. How good's that? Yeah. And I looked up the list on coke.com.au to make sure it was real. Yeah, no, and no, it's someone real. found it. Ruth found it. Ruth is a legend. In. That's on our Facebook page. Yeah, we're oh, going to stockpile them. I didn't even know you were on Facebook. How I'm, did you? Oh, well, actually. What? So I'm on Facebook, but I've never done a Facebook post in my life. I have it for work purposes because... If you die, I need to look up your Facebook so I can oh, take all your photos to use on the course, news. Yeah. It sounds really callous, but we all know that's what happens. So um, over the weekend, someone yes. cloned my Facebook, Uh-oh. made a Facebook that was a mirror e- image of my own, yeah. and started putting inappropriate comments on a rival TV station's Facebook page. Ooh, that's terrible. Yes, and then yes, the post they were commenting on uh, it was linked to a very, uh, how do I say, a dedicated protest group oh. who thought I was then taking the piss out of them. <gasps> and so they started emailing media outlets in Melbourne saying like, Chanel has been hacked by China. That's horrendous. It was a lot to deal with on a Saturday morning. I'll so put it that you get way. An IT person at work to well, like yes, shut it all and down? I kindly contacted the rival network, who were very accommodating of my needs, right, and okay. deleted wow. everything. Yes, that's a lot on a Saturday. It is a lot. Hey, we're trying something new tonight. Kirsten, say something. Hello. Yes. How are we? Kirst is on. Well, see, because I, sometimes I listen back to us and I, just there's a little mouse in the corner going, Yeah. It's me. And it's you should have been on from the Kirsten, start. Kirsten, the tiny mouse. And I said, but we need to hear you, Kirsten. Yeah. Uh, you guys know I don't I don't like my voice. I know you don't. So, That's the other reason yeah, we're doing it. Great, it's great, so. fun. Well, <laughs> welcome. Thanks. Welcome, everyone. Well, should we jump straight in? Yeah, I want to go first. Okay, go. Um, Whatever you like. I'm going to drink my tea. Do you mind if I drink my tea while you're... No, it's fine. Is my chair too squeaky? Um, I think I'm 
Oh, I don't know which story I'm going to do. I'm going to do this one. Okay. Do you know this one? You might not. Story of John Wayne Gacy? I know the name. Okay. But I'm always up for hearing something I may have heard oh, before. Oh, okay. So to tell this story, we're going to start from the very beginning with him because he's the killer. Mm-hmm. We'll just put that up. Oh. He's not about well, to be What's the point of me watching this killer. TV show now? No, watch it because it's, it's going to be great. So John Wayne Gacy... Uh, he had a troublesome childhood. His father liked the drink and would often taunt him and he was mean to him. And he would pick on John and call him a sissy. Okay. Yeah. Dads didn't like sissy boys in didn't those like days. Didn't like sissy boys. Hmm. His dad would say all sorts of mean things to him and among those things he would always say, you're likely to grow up as a queer. Oh, like that's a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. Hang on, there's a problem. I can't see Kirsten. There's like a wall of... Computer screens, that's better. Okay, Now, when he was older, he got a job at a mortuary. Mortuary? Mortuary. I should know that word by now. Yeah, mortuary. I say mortuary. I just went mortuary. Yeah, mortuary will do this. Yeah, and people knew there that he was odd, and there were rumours about him, and one of those rumours was that he climbed into a coffin with a teenage boy, but people thought it was pretty accurate. What era were we in? Is this the 60s? Yeah, probably. So he probably was gay, but well, it was illegal in a lot of parts of the world then. 50s, early 60s. Probably everywhere, yep. Um, But, you know, many weirdos kind of, walk amongst us and then yeah. they turn out kind of not to be weird. So at 22, he married and he went to work with his in-laws in Iowa. Nothing mm. else weird happened. Okay. He had two children and before his dad died in 1965, his dad told him, I was wrong about you. Meaning what? You're well, not a sissy. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, but he wasn't entirely wrong. So while he had a happy family, everyone saw this family, marriage and kids, behind the scenes he was watching porn, wife swapping and sleeping with prostitutes. Oh. I don't really think a lot about the sleeping with prostitutes thing. I think a lot of people sleep with prostitutes and that's fine. Possibly and I don't think watching porn is such a big deal. What was the other part? Wife Wife swapping. Back in well, those days, maybe a little. Oh my God, a friend told me. I have to tell you this wife swapping story. So I've been not. So. Oh my God. <laughs> it's at a club. Let me just say a sporting club. And there were two couples who'd been members of this club for quite a long time. And they would go out for dinner and stuff together. And eventually. Is someone going to end up dead? No. Okay. No. So um, I think they're a mature couples, yeah. both yeah, of them. Sure. And they were uh, they were at one of the couple's house, mm. dinner party, mm-hmm. w- a couple of bottles of wine. Yep. Uh, eventually the conversation has turned to they want to do a little bit of swapsies. <gasps> so one husband goes with the other bloke's wife into no. the bedroom and yeah. the other two stay in the living room. This is actually how murders happen, but anyway, yeah. This is, yeah, this yeah. is here in our suburbs with okay. people that – we walk amongst. Yeah. And so the ones in the bedroom, bit of a pash. Yeah. Bit awkward, bit of a yeah. lovely, oh, this is not, uh, okay, let's just have a cuddle for a minute until we ease into this. And, yeah. And then they kind of went, look, I can't do this. I can't. It's oh, my not, gosh. It's, I the think other ones lovely. are full on bonking, aren't they? The you other ones know, are full exactly. bonking. So they've wow. gone, look, okay, they've had a bit of a laugh, gone back into the living room, naked, clothes everywhere, and the the bloke is absolutely hammering the girl. Give it, she's on all fours, bang, bang, bang. What? And the two of the ones who went, oh, we can't really, we shouldn't, this feels wrong, <laughs> just had to stand there and wait for it to finish. I was propositioned in Bali. To swap with who? Well, 
I went on a holiday on my own to Bali. Right. This is a, quite a few years ago. Yes, yes, yes. I okay. can't remember why Nico didn't come with me. I think he couldn't get time off. I was at my wit's end on the crime round. I needed time out. Right. I went to Bali. And I was at a restaurant on my own, which is always awkward. But for work, I have to eat on my own all the time. So I'm kind of used to it. Yeah. Anyway, so I was sitting at this restaurant. I'd finished my meal. And then the waiter came over and he had like a dessert, like a piece of cake. And he was like, oh, this is from the couple seated over there. (gasps) The couple. The couple seated over there. And I was so, I died. (laughs) You I sure they were just giving do. you cake? Well, I sent it back and I left. Did you yeah. turn around and have a good look at them or not? Well, I looked <laughs> and then I was so scared and I said I said to the waiter, I'm really creeped out by this and I have a feeling they're sending dessert because I'm dessert and I don't want to do that and yeah. can I just pay and get out? Do you think they thought you were for hire? How dare they? Oh, maybe they thought I was for hire. <laughs> and that the payment was cake? I don't know. I Well, yeah, maybe. It, oh, I was really awkward. Yeah. And then I rang Nicholas immediately, like, like you know I do, and I told him. If they were good looking, would you have gone? I was like, oh, would you just, no, I would not have gone. But it's just, don't, aren't you curious? Like, just what? like, not like about that, but like, just to see what they look like. Like, oh, I should have also added, they were very the old. Oh. oh. Like, I saw, <laughs> <laughs> I saw them. I looked. He said over there, and I looked at where the finger was pointing, and yep. like, they did a. Oh, we're on a podcast, so I can't do a face. They did like a... Eyebrow raise. Hey. Oh. Hey, girl. Icky, like, icky. That, yeah. Okay. And I ran to... I remember I ran down the street because everything in Bali's close, obviously. I ran down the street. I went in my hotel room. I shut the door and I was like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> With your modesty intact, yeah. Lady Chanel. Correct. Um, okay. So... Uh, wife swapping. Wife swapping. Yeah. Um, but his whole wife swapping porn watching soon turns into him having fetishes about teenage boys. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 1968, he was working at a fast food franchise and he lured a young boy into the back room. He tried to bribe him into giving him oral sex. Uh, When he refused, he tried to rape him. Uh But the boy escaped. The boy went and dobbed him in. Gacy uh, tried to get other children to beat up the boy so that he couldn't testify. This backfired on him and he ended up having to plead to sodomy. Uh, however, he always maintained the boy wanted it. Oh, yeah, of course pig. he did. He was begging for it. Pig. Yes. Um, Most kids want to be raped. Honest to God. For that, he was jailed for 10 years. Good. His wife divorced him and his kids never saw him again. Right. But you know how if you behave yourself in jail and you do all the right things, you get early release? Yeah, so from that 10-year sentence, he served 18 months. <gasps> no. Yeah, atrocious, right? Atrocious. God. So uh, what do you reckon he did when he got out? Raped a child. He tried to sexually assault another boy. Oh. He was picked up again, but police um, tried to find the child. He never appeared in court and the case was dropped. Yeah. Somehow he got married again. And after a few years, he told his second wife he was bisexual and they got divorced. He must be very charming. Must be. Or, yes, yeah. to be able to manipulate people. So this is when he starts was to he get... Was he good looking? 
weird and murdery. Permission to Google, please. please. Thank you. I should know. John Wayne Gacy. Like. Okay. So at this point, he's living on his own in Cook County and he's regularly kidnapping boys at gunpoint, sexually abusing them. And when he tired of them, he would murder them. Mm. In 1977, he was picked up by cops, not for murder, but for sexually uh, abusing. Nah, bloated, ugly pig. Yeah. Yeah, not charming looking at all. No, piggy, piggy. Um, So he's picked up by cops for sexually abusing a boy who'd gotten away before he could murder him. He said he didn't have violent sex with the boy, but the boy wanted it. And he was let off with a caution. Oh, no. Um. If you're thinking at this point that he's, and like we've kind of seen him, right? He's, yeah. He's not handsome or charming, but he's not lurking in the shadows either. He's a really successful businessman. He's a contractor and he's involved with the Democratic Party. So he's not just kind of. He's wearing a tie and a jacket. Yeah. That gets you a long way, he's doesn't it? He's not a shadow lurker. Yeah, gotcha. Anyway, so. Uh, what he's also doing is he is dressing up as Pongo the Clown and putting oh. on shows at kids' parties. Oh, I hate that. I remember booking a clown mm. for Bonnie's third, fourth birthday. Yeah. Third, fourth, third. Yep. Uh, with a clown. It was a lady clown. Yeah. But she said to me she was making the booking and what time and how many children and face paint or no face paint. So they give you the option of yeah. doing the white face paint because oh, apparently yeah. it freaks, freaks the kitties out. out. And I don't like clowns, but no. Bonnie wanted a clown. She's in a clown phase. Thank God she moved on to a high five phase after See? that. <laughs> high five in the air. Let's I hate it. do it together. I hated it. High, high five. five. <gasps> Thank you, Kirsten. It was her Bonnie's favourite. Wow. Okay. So he's and I liked mixing too. in all the high profile circles. He's dressing up as Pongo the Clown. And at the same time, he's also <laughs> hanging out at gay bars. And at one of the gay bars, he meets a 27 year old man called Jeffrey Rignall. He convinces the young man to hop in his car so they can have a drink together. And once in the car, he smothers him with a chemical-soaked rag and he's unconscious. Right. When Jeffrey wakes, he's in a basement strapped to a pillory. No. To what? A pillory. Or just a pillar. No, it's a pillory. A pillory? I I Googled it. A pillory. So it's like a horizontal plank of wood that has holes cut it kind of opens and you put your head in it and your arms in it oh like and they used the, to put the in in the like oldie days in the town yes. square yes <gasps> correct yeah. and then it, the, the other half kind of closes around your neck and your wrists you know no what i mean no way yeah so he's in a pillory whoa yep and um he sees gacy who starts showing him an array of torture tools oh, such a penis and sexual devices that he says he's going to use on him. Oh. And he does. Oh. At times, uh, Jeffrey was in so much pain that he begged to die. Oh. Every time he did, he would be smothered again with the rag and would fall unconscious. Oh. Uh, when he woke up the final time, he was fully dressed, sitting in Chicago's Lincoln Park. He had cash in his pocket for a taxi and his license was missing. How weird. Mm. How fucked. God. Can you imagine? Yeah. He was taken to hospital no, I can't. and he was found to have bleeding from his anus and his face was also bleeding. His liver was damaged by the chloroform and police said they had nothing to go on. I'm very tense. Like my neck is mm, tense and everything's tense right now. He couldn't remember where he was taken, what the car looked like. 
or the number plate and he didn't even know Gacy's name. So when the cops said they couldn't do much, Jeffrey didn't give up. He hired a car and he did his best to drive the route he thought he was taken. Yes. But you have to remember, he was groggy when he was taken, so he couldn't remember exactly. So he got as far as he could and he sat there and he waited and Gacy drove past. Ooh. What are the chances mm. that that fucker drives past? So he writes down the number plate, he follows the car and he takes down the address that it stops at. Would you Hang on, would you follow it? Yeah. Would you? This is a man who... Didi, I was calling you about a person taking photos yeah, outside no, but that house. person hadn't I totally follow jammed it. things up your anus. Oh, actually, a guy hit my car, yeah. smacked my mirror in the city, and yeah. I followed him for like 20 minutes till I got like weaving in and out of traffic till I got to a spot where I could pull up next to him, and I made him – I did the – Put your freaking window down, and I made him pull over. Good on you. Mm. Oh, speaking so, of yes, which, I would follow. Do you remember that car accident I had back in May, yes. some months ago, and you yes. helped me track down details on that guy? Yes. So this insurance tracking down company, they've been trying to reach him. He hasn't oh. been replying to any of their things. This is like six months at least. Mm. So they rang me back to say, do you have any other details, details. that you can give us? I went, well, as a matter of fact, I, I do. do. Whipped out the Chanel Vela details yes. and a few others that I got from the coppers. That guy's toast. They are taking yes. him to court. Him. They'll mm-hmm. find him. Yeah. So he drove past. He writes his number plate down. He follows him. He then writes down the address that he stops at. Yeah. He doesn't do anything other than write right. the address down Thank that the house God. goes into. He then looked up documents for the uh, registry of the house and the title of the property comes up with the name John Wayne Gacy. Oh, He was wow. pretty smart. Good detective work. Yeah. He took all that info to police and they worked out the address was just outside their jurisdiction and they couldn't do a thing. Who's, we'll find whose jurisdiction it is. But the police involved... Uh, said that they went and spoke to him and they agreed that Gacy should cover his medical expenses and that was that. What? Yep. This wasn't the only man that had been lured into a car by Gacy, um, but... Well, hang on. Did did the guy the guy willingly got into the car, didn't he? Yes. So uh, he wasn't the only man, and as we things. know, he's not yeah. the most attractive. Man. And he's not a child. Sorry, but he was twenty seven. You said, yeah, yep. yeah. So here we have um, some audio from the program mm-hmm. Insiders. First, you'll hear from a detective explaining how he lured men, and then you'll hear from a victim. He primarily uh, used the guise of being a police officer. John was into the uh, police. Uh, thing he had a Chicago Police Star. Uh, he had a car. He'd buy a brand new car every year that would always be black. On the way to his house, he he was boasting that he was a police officer, and he showed me his gun, and his car. It looked like a police car, like an unmarked police car. It had a spotlight and everything. So he's pretending to be a cop. He's got a flashy car. Wow! And that's why these guys are getting. In the car with him. Was the first cop good looking? Just as a, sorry, it's not related to the story, but just as a side, he had a very nice voice. Oh. Don't you think? He was, uh, it was, it was lovely. 
maybe he wasn't because I think I feel I would have remembered that. Okay. Yeah. Um, within the same. It's irrelevant year, to the story. It's yeah. Just say, sorry, well, sorry, Kirsten. Yeah, no, no, I'm not, no. Sorry. I'm not sorry. So within the same year that that happens, everyone's with, thinking it. I'm saying it. Correct. Okay, apologies. With Jeffrey, a 15-year-old boy goes missing. His name was Robert, and his mother reported his disappearance to police. Mm. The last she'd heard from him, he was saying that he was going to visit a contractor to look for a summer job. Oh, no. There are a few whispers around town and the police end up going to Gacy's doorstep, but he denies knowing anything about this missing boy. But little did they know, while they were talking to Gacy on his doorstep, Robert was dead inside his house on his bed. Police at this stage checked his priors and they knew that they that sodomy prior came up. Yeah. Um, and they tried to get him to come down to the police station to have a chat. He refused and uh, because they couldn't force him to do that, they couldn't lay any charges. But this time, thank God, the cops don't let it go and they put his house under surveillance. So even while um, being watched, Gacy was able to somehow smuggle Robert's body out of the house, put it into his car, and he raced off, and police lost him. Maybe he had one of those garages that you can enter from the house. Yeah, I don't know the layout of the house, but it seems crazy. So he knows that police were following him. He Mm. loses them, but he's obviously still a bit panicked, so he quickly races to a river. He dumps the body, drives back to the house. The police get a search warrant for the house Mm because obviously this craziness has happened. Um Inside, they find a pharmacy receipt with Robert's name on it, but it still wasn't enough to charge him. But it was enough to validate that they had to keep watching him. Yeah. So at this point, um, Gacy knows that police are on him and he starts getting really cocky. Yeah. So he like they're obviously outside his house. He's going out and chatting to them and saying clowns can get away with murder. Oh, and sometimes what? he would Arrogant. yeah, he would stroll out and invite them in for breakfast. Real creep. Yeah. So the cops decided they'd be smart back and they accepted his offer to come in for breakfast. Oh, and we want to have breakfast in the basement, yep. please. And in they went. So whilst in Gacy's house, the police noticed an odd smell. Mm. Without realising, Gacy had accidentally switched off a pump that drained water from his basement and his basement was flooding. So that meant with the water running under the house, when police went to look to see what was going on, they found 29 bodies. What? Yep. 29? 29 bodies. (laughs) So they didn't find all 29 at once. Some of them were just I'm sure about there. having Kirsten's microphone on. I'm happy to no. no, I stay on. 29. So 29. they weren't all, appar- all, all there. Yeah. They found some. They yeah. had to go looking for others. Wow. Uh, among those body was bodies... Among those bodies was John Nieder. He worked at a, cons- in, a in construction. Yeah. And the last job he did... Was for, for Gacy. Gacy. Wow. We have some audio of uh, John's mother. This is Dolores speaking again with insiders. When you lose a child, it's like taking a little piece of your heart out. Now, Gacy has stolen something from me that I just can't forgive him. I can't forgive that man. Do you, do you blame me? Do you think I have? I mean, uh, how can you forgive somebody who? ends 
a part of your life. I can't do it. I don't even think God would expect me to do that, to tell you the truth. Oh, poor dear. Horrible. It is awful. They went uh, to the river. There they found another four bodies, including um, Robert's body. Oh, goodness gracious. Even with Gacy's handwritten map, it took the police weeks to recover all the bodies he had buried in the crawl space under his house. Gacy had been killing and burying his victims for at least four years. That was from Inside Edition. So he actually had to draw maps to give police so they could work out where all the bodies were. He remembered yeah. everything. Yep. The youngest... I would love to see the look on the faces of the cops who let him go. I know. At the beginning. Yeah. I know. The youngest victim they found was nine. Uh, the oldest were grown men. Some of the bodies were never identified. Mm. They realised while interviewing him that while his victims were dying, he would read them the Bible and after they were dead, he would further degrade his victims because he was into necrophilia. Oh, but it, oh my God. Oh, Lord. He wow. Was, yeah. He was charged and pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Prosecutors said those who survived his ta- his attacks were the living dead, given what they'd been through, and they called him the worst of all murderers. Was he insane, though? I mean, if he was manipulating and avoiding, I hear this that takes all a the degree time of... in court. Mm. I, I think the general public would say to kill someone, you have to be some level of insane, right? Well, but yeah, but he was smart enough to know what he was doing and to hide yeah. the bodies, yep. not just leave them laying on the footpath, yeah. you know. Yep. He knew yep. what he was doing. Cover his tracks. Yeah. yeah. So, or is it that he, he knew what he was doing, but he didn't know that it was wrong? Nah, he knew it was wrong, otherwise he wouldn't hide from the cops. Oh, true. The jury took less than two hours to find him guilty of all 33 murders, and he was sentenced to death. And? The end. Is he dead? Nah, it's not the end. So um, they never give up that easy, these bastards. He appealed. That process went on for another 14 years. Wow. During that time, he decided to make and sell art. Oh, that's why I know his name. Yes. In the form of paintings he did inside jail. Yep. Uh, I have another last bit of audio here. This is Kerry Sullivan, the prosecutor who took him to trial. Certainly his abilities to to get his name out and his paintings out and all the rest of the things outside of the jail walls is something that that just adds another burden to the back of the victims' families that are out there right now. Do 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 murdered thirty three people. Yep. I'm just going to do some painting. Do, no, no, but I feel like best, best in America, in do they have different laws regard? Because in Australia, you can't profit from a, a crime, as in you anything that. Ha- yeah. Uh, well, chopper rope books. And those yeah, books were the- only were only like people only knew who he was because of his crimes, even though the books weren't related to his crimes. Yeah, but was that after he was out of jail? Yeah, I don't know what out. the rules are around being in jail. Yeah, I don't think it. you're allowed to profit from a crime. Well, 20 of his paintings were exhibited in a Boston art gallery and the show was a total sellout. Huh. As a result of his notoriety, he began to receive fan mail. These sick fuckers. Who would do that? Women. Oh, Who yuck. admired him. Many of those letters he compiled into a book, which he also sold. Wow. Mm. On May 9, 1994, he was executed by lethal injection. His last words were, 
kiss my ass. Oh, he wasn't insane. No, I don't Honestly, think so why did they ever entertain that stupid idea? Yep. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yep, a number of films have been made about him. There was also documentaries because people are fascinated by him. His crimes prompted authorities to change laws so they didn't have to wait 72 hours before they began to look for missing children. So the proceeds from the sale of the art, I'm sorry if I'm asking a question that you don't have the answer for, but, hmm. I, but where would they have ended up? Because I, he can't spend yeah, that money. He's know, in jail. I don't know. And Oh, he had children, didn't he? He had children, but he kind of lost them after he started getting freaky with young Yeah, but boys. I suppose if the proceeds went to them, then that's fair because they, they don't need to be punished because of their father's crimes, mm. do they? What a horrible man. Yeah, totally horrible. Yeah, the art. That was where I'd heard the name yeah. before. Um, you said Why something that in there that... on the floor? Because it's the oh, picture of the okay. Vela Coke. Okay. We've done it. Sorry. I just Items was, that are done can be I dropped on the floor. Shook. Okay. I have questions before. If Because you said how um, when they were trying to find out who lived at a particular address. So a friend of mine mm-hmm. is um, – there's a, a nice guy has moved – she's single, mm-hmm. single mum. And a nice guy has moved in two doors down. And there's been a bit of, you know, hi, hi, hey. hi. And hey. he's quite handsome. He's a tiny bit younger than her, but nice. She said big, strong shoulders and all the rest of it. And I would be the worst <laughs> at that kind of interaction. What She's been okay with it. I've like- been in a relationship for like 13 years. And I just feel if so I... I don't know when people are hitting on me. So <laughs> if I just I, – I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be the worst on a date. I would be shit. <laughs> I am done. It's just so good that Nicholas is marrying you. It's true because I would – You wouldn't know what to do. Well, I'd, I'd be like, just get to the point, oh, fucker. Maybe. I don't need to know how many brothers you have. I just need to know if you're a psychopath. Do you have any priors? I don't think she's even going... considered that he's a psychopath. Okay, so Sorry. you might you might she be used as helping. Yep. So she is she's a media person. Her face is he's gonna know who she is just oh. by looking at her. She said even when she's been in her pajamas putting the that bins out. That makes it really difficult. Yeah. Right. And he has used her name. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm your new neighbor. Been there I don't know how many yes. months. Okay, and uh, he's used her name. Yes. I know that we've got a few media friends who listen to this. They'll know who I'm talking about. Um, so he's used her name. He yes. said to her the other day in conversation, um, I'm separated. Oh, and AKA, she's, I'm up for grabs, babe. Yeah. She's gone, oh, right, you know, and walked away. But as she's walked away, like face to camera of, whoa, hang on mm. a minute. Uh, so he's obviously, him? yes, okay, I think so. cool. I yeah. think so. Right. But it's there's been enough chitty chats now, but she still doesn't know his name. And it's embarrassing that she doesn't he, know his yeah. name. Well, How does she find out his name? She just has to ask. I would just say, hey, fuck, I don't know your name. Why this would she be expected in? to know his name? He's not famous. Yeah, but this is a few conversations down. Yeah, though. that's all right, though. It's not well, like this he, was my idea. Did he initially tell her his name no, and she forgot? No. Then you can just ask. But it's so far along the thing. Does she say, oh, by the way, you never did tell me your name? See, my idea was make some little Christmas cookies, bundle them up into little parcels, put them in a basket. Okay, so, already so it's much. not just me who's out of the <laughs> no, game. It ain't just me. <laughs> Leave some gaps, knock on his door and say, oh, I'm just doing my traditional delivering of Christmas cookies nah. to everyone in the street. You know what? Uh, I do steal his mail. 
Yes, I was going to say that. No, they've done that. They've done that. Oh, I might be getting in trouble. But one of her kids went along along the other day and said said this might be against the law, but I'm only looking. I'm not taking him as looking and (laughs) nothing. They came up blank. Oh, he's Another friend suggested taking some eggnog down to his house. Oh, I reckon you just fucking ask. Just ask him. By the way, I never did get your name. Because I think that's hurtful if you've been... No, it's not. If you asked and you were told and then you forgot, yeah, that's, that's not that's great. Worse. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you remember in the last episode I talked about the Granville train disaster in 1977? Sure do. Train went under a bridge, bridge collapsed. Horrible. Awful. Yeah. And it was... My uh, mental images while you were telling that story were... Ugh. What's that? Oh, it's just thinking well, about like people being crushed oh, to like half horrid. the height of yes. the train. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. And, and the worst for me, I mean, if you died instantly, thankfully. Yeah, but if you didn't. It's the it's equivalent the of drowning. crushed. Yeah. And, yeah. Horrible. Um, so everyone on that day worked incredibly hard. Well, it was two days, I think, nearly three by the time they got all the bodies out um, and all the emergency services came. And one of the ambulance men who worked, and and there was never anything to indicate that he, he did anything untoward as part of the rescue, but he mm-hmm. was one of the paramedics who was involved in the Tranville, uh, Granville train disaster was a man called Lindsay Robert Rose. He was actually born Lindsay Robert Lehman, but his I don't know how his name changed anyway. He became Lindsay Robert Rose, so that's what I'll call him. He was born in 1955 in North Sydney in New South Wales. So when he was a young boy, his parents separated. His mother raised him. He did an apprenticeship as a fitter and turner, and then in 1976 he became a paramedic, and that's how he ended up working at Granville. Mm-hmm. So he'd only been uh, probably less than 12 months at the time that accident happened. It's a lot to take on, I think, when you're quite young. He quit three years after Granville and he became a private investigator. And then there's a gap of about three years. And then on New Year's Day in 1983, Robert Rose, Lindsay Robert Rose, Get his name right. Rose was part of a gang that hijacked a semi-trailer carrying cigarettes. What? what? Yes, worth 600 grand. What? And they held two truck drivers hostage for several hours. I don't know what happened between being a paramedic and rescuing people and being part of a hijack gang. Anyway, that's what happened. The following okay. year, 20th of January, 1984, Rose shot and killed a man. What? Who ran a trucking business. He went from saving people to... Killing them. I don't know if he got donked on the head in the rescue or what. I don't know because I don't know much about him prior to Granville. But you would have to think that he was a decent kind of a person to be an ambulance. Anyway, a, a paramedic. Um, so he shot this guy. Now, the guy allegedly had links to the Calabrian Mafia. He was a 58-year-old called Bill Kavanagh. He wasn't at his home in Hoxton Park when Rose came calling to kill him. Okay. But his 21-year-old girlfriend, Carmelita Lee, was home. She was naked. She was about to have a bath. Rose and his accomplice, not sure who that was, tied her to a bed with a telephone cord and they then waited for Kavanagh to get home. So as Kavanagh came through the door, Rose opened fire, (gasps) shot Kavanagh multiple times. He then dragged his body into the bedroom and shot him a further few times and he then shot Carmelita four times in the head. (gasps) So they made her watch. Yep. Uh, 
he claimed that he did it because Kavanaugh had beaten up one of his mates a few years earlier and he murdered. It's kind of the life you live though, right? Mm, Yeah. Those people um, in like mafia, this always ends like that. It does a bit, doesn't it? I'm not saying it's right. No. Uh, and he says he murdered Carmelita because she saw what he did to Kavanaugh. Yeah, okay. But if he let her go at the beginning, she wouldn't have seen and he wouldn't have had to yeah, kill her. she would have gone to the – well, she wouldn't have gone to the cops. She's part of the mafia. She would have gone and got other – like she Probably. Would, yeah. yeah, Don and John and Tony. Are they the mafia yeah. people? Yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they wouldn't have said that. No. Forget about it. They wouldn't have said that. On the – Donnie Brasco did. Yeah, but they wouldn't. Have. Have they said Black we're Mass? not forgetting about it. I don't think that was mafia. Black no, Mass, but the Irishman. I haven't seen it yet, and I'm dying. Neither. To. It's coming I out, could, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. By this episode, it will be out on the Netflix. Yeah, I'm waiting for the the Netflix. The Netflix on the interworld webs. Yeah, and I kept trying to see it in the cinemas, and there was only shit tickets left at the front. And you don't want to be. With no, your neck up the whole neck. time. You'll be crossed with the movie the whole way. Yeah. 19th of January, 1987, Rose broke into the home in West Ride of a wealthy businessman, a man called Bill Graff. He wanted to rob him. Yeah. But as he broke in, he was uh, Graff's partner was home. Raynette Holford was her name. She grabbed a pair of scissors mm. and she went for him. Good. And he says he thumped her a couple of times to oh, stop no. her screaming. Oh. He stabbed her in the neck and oh. the face 32 <gasps> times with a screwdriver and a vegetable knife. 32 He's times is very lot. passionate. I think he was angry because she'd come oh. at him. You think he was angry? <laughs> I'd say he was angry. Uh, he strangled yep. her. Then he tied her up. Oh, Obviously she died from all of this. So... Um, for a long time, Bill Graff was actually the partner was suspected of killing her, mm. and he died without ever being able to clear his name, oh. mm, which is very sad. The next murders took place on the fourteenth of February, nineteen ninety four, and these became known as the Valentine's Day murders. So, okay. Kerry Pang was thirty six, and she was a mother of five. She ran a massage parlor called Kerry's Oasis. If you had a massage parlor, Chanel, what would you call it? Mm. Chanel's. Shag, shag and shop. <laughs> Let me ponder on it. Okay. Yeah. Just ding in any time. Yeah. Uh, Kerry's de facto partner, Mark Lewis, wanted her dead and he had hired Lindsay Rose to do the job. Rose had an accomplice, an unemployed employed black called uh, Ronald Walters. He was offered $500. Now, what his job was to knock on the door and to then get them inside. Mm-hmm. When they arrived at the massage parlour, the door was opened not by Kerry Pang, but by an employee, a young woman by the name of Fatma Ozanal, who was okay. just 25 years old. She was a divorced mother with a six-year-old daughter. She was forced, these two blokes forced her to sit and wait for Kerry Pang to arrive. And then they shot her in the head four times at close range. Mm. When Kerry Pang arrived, Rose stabbed her 18 times in the face, <gasps> chest and He's head. A real stabber. He slit her throat, shot her in the eye. And then set the massage parlour on fire. They're big on like head injuries, right? Like yeah. they snap to yeah. the face, shoot I think to it's the head. hatred if you go for the face. I reckon it is. It's really oh, As opposed brutal. to I just want you to be not living anymore. It's I hate you. Hatred. There's something more to him. Uh, so he wasn't caught for any of these murders until 1996. An associate of his. I call it Shan Wow. 
Shanwell's good. Yeah. I like it. It sounds a bit like a cleaning like cloth. Like Shanwell, but, but it's yeah. not. It's Shanwell. <laughs> it doesn't immediately say you're going to get a rub and tug, but you might. You might. <laughs> Mine's um, <laughs> Dee Dee's Thrubba Dubba Shop. What? Yeah. They know what it is. I know it's a funny name, but it's a fun massage parlour, my one. Where I'm, where, Yours could laughs. be Curse Kinky Corner. Yes. Yeah. Or like Lim, how well, about a... That's also KKK. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I missed it because I thought I was making a KKK reference, but call it starts with a C. I'm a journalist. Anyway, move right along. All right. So wasn't caught for any of this. An associate, remember we were moving in those dark mafia circles, mm-hmm. an associate who was a corrupt police officer told detectives that Rose had bragged about a couple of those killings. Yeah. So Rose was questioned, but they let him go and he took off. He drove from Sydney to Adelaide in South Australia, which is about a 15-hour drive. There he used the name Lindsay Lehman, which was actually his birth name. Mm-hmm. Um, ten months later, someone saw his mugshot on TV because I think at this stage he was actually Australia's most wanted man. Oh. Uh, so someone saw his mugshot on the telly and they the cops caught him in Adelaide, dragged him back to Sydney where he confessed not only to killing Fatma Ozanal and Kerry Pangs, the two women at the massage yeah. parlour, but he confessed to all five of his mm. murders. Heavy burden to carry, just wandered it out. It is, yeah. This is from the ABC's Australian Story episode, Balancing the Scales. Inspector Baker and I are making inquiries into the murders of an Edward Kavanagh and Carmelita Lee at Hoxton Park. Um, on or about the 20th of January 1984. Um, is there anything you can tell me about that? Yes, I did it. Okay. What do you mean? Can you tell me what you mean by that? I went to the house there and showing. All right. In June 1998, Rose pleaded guilty to the five murders in the Supreme Court and in September 1998, he was sentenced to five consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Mm. Um, Kerry Pang's de facto, Mark Lewis, who had ordered that Every time that you say Kerry her. Pang, I think you're about to say Kerry Packer, but anyway. Totally two different people. Sure. Sorry. Uh, he'd ordered the hit. He was found guilty of her murder and that of Fatma Ozanal and was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole even though he didn't actually do it, but he ordered it. Yep. And Ronald Walters, the Nong who was paid was supposed to be paid $500 to knock on the door and was part of that murder, he never got paid. He pleaded guilty, pleaded guilty to being an accessory after the fact and was sentenced to 18 months of, I thought you might know what this is, periodic detention. What's oh, that? I, actually, well, I don't know what periodic detention is. No. What is that? It sounds like you're half in, half out. Yeah. Don't know. Now, Lindsay Rose had a daughter. Alicia, and she only ever knew him as a loving father. She was four months old when he killed his first two victims. And in 19... It's literally that. Just like two days a week you go to jail. Isn't that odd? What? That's not a thing I've ever seen implemented. What happens the rest of the time? You just... just You're just out and about. That's really weird, And they trust you to come back. Maybe you're on a giant leg rope. They just pull it. That's very strange, isn't it? Uh, so Alicia, Rose's daughter, was in 1996. She was 13. Oh, yes. You go in on weekends. Oh, okay. Party party time. Mm. No party for you. Mm. So Alicia was 13 in 1996. She was coming home from school and she was surprised to see her mum's car in the driveway. 
and mum wasn't due home for a couple of hours. So in the house, her mum was sitting at the table with two detectives mm-hmm. and they had photo albums out and they were pointing to various people. Remember, she doesn't. She just thinks her dad's a dad at the stage. Yeah. Alicia, Alicia had only seen her father a couple of times since uh, leaving Sydney for Perth three years earlier. So they'd separated the parents. It was then she found out at the age of 13 that her dad had murdered five people. Oh. So I quite like this girl, rather than letting the shame bring her down, as you can imagine it would do, she yes. became a lawyer. She took up charity work. Nice. And she became a foster carer. Good for her. Um, she visited her father in jail and she exchanged some letters with him and she said that she realised she could never accept her father's excuses for his actions. Mm. And then an author contacted her about writing a book about her father's crimes and she was finally able to unburden herself. Of, of, she'd carried it as a secret yeah. for nearly 20 years. And that book, should you wish to read it, is called The Fatalist by a man called Campbell McConaughey. And there you are. That's it's a very, sad postscript to the Granville train disaster. It's a very difficult if, – if your loved one committed a murder or did something shit, that's – yeah. It's awful. Yeah. I feel just as bad for those people as I do for the victim's family. Yeah. It's horrible. For Your her name and is her tainted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And You're always going to be tarnished, aren't yeah. you? So it's like, you know, you're such and such brother. Correct. Or you're that person's yeah. mum. Well, like for say it. in this town, you know, James Gargasoulis, there aren't many people rolling around with the surname Gargasoulis. So yeah, if you true. ever said, oh, I'm, you know, you write your name down on a form somewhere or, you know, yeah, people go, go, oh, hey, you're you. related to such and such. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be horrible. Terrible. It? I wonder if a lot of uh, offenders' family members end up changing their surnames if their surnames are quite distinct. Oh, yes. I worked with someone oh. who – so do you remember the um, police killings that started with the Walsh Street murders yes. in Melbourne? Mm-hmm. And then the police went and shot – I've got to be careful – because I still I know, and this is have contact in, with this person. Yeah, um, one of the, this person was part of one of the crime families, and his brother was shot as part right. of those. Yep. So it's, if if you're not from Melbourne, it went back and forth. Crims co- shot two cops. Crims got shot. More cops got shot. It just went back and forth for yep. ages. It was called the was it under. The- Underbelly, Underworld. Oh, Underbelly, the series? Well, Underbelly was a TV series that was made about it was, the whole thing, wasn't yes. it? Yes. But, um, yeah, so I didn't know. Gangland. He, his brother was one of the guys that the cops shot, and he always said that his brother was innocent. Mm. I didn't know any about any of this, but on a hot day at work, I was sitting next to him, and he was wearing a singlet top, oh. and there was a tattoo on his arm and I oh. uh, that had RIP, and I won't say the name. Yeah. And uh, I said, oh, who's that? And he then launched into this whole tirade about oh. how the cops had killed his brother. and oh. mm. So, yeah, affects people everywhere. See? Well, for our feedback today, we're actually going to talk to an expert friend because we've had a number of people who've given us um, stories on Dead Bodies podcast of coming across a body or seeing a dead body, not one that they're related to, and talking about how deeply it's affected them, which has taken them by surprise because if they don't know the person, why are they grieving them? I'm thinking in particular of Carter, who sent us that story from California just recently. So we are very lucky to have with us uh, on the podcast today, psychologist Sandy Ray. Hello, Sandy. Hello, Dee Chanel. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm hoping you can kind of talk us through uh, the thought process of feeling attached to someone who you've found or, you know, helped rescue perhaps, and then 
you almost grieve that person. Mm. Look, I think one of the fundamental features of human nature is connectedness. You know, that we meet people, that we greet people, that we embrace people who we've never seen before and we have some sort of feelings towards them. I think when we see a dead body, a lot of ourselves can be invested in seeing that dead body. What our past experiences have been, have we had some trauma ourselves, uh, does it re- relate to some other member of our family? So I'm not surprised at all that people who've witnessed and, and be party to seeing a dead body feel a huge, what we call, traumatic grief. And traumatic grief is characterised by nightmares, hypervigilance, sadness, and they often can't shake that sort of grief. And Sandy, one story that we heard very early in in recording this podcast was a guy called Hugo who was working in the city. He was installing a something on a footpath and a person, um, shall I say, fell from a floor above and landed right next to him. And at the time, the ambulance officers who came to attend to the person who died gave him some pamphlets and stuff. And he said, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. It was a couple of weeks later that he was driving along that it just hit him like a wave. So why would that happen that it he didn't necessarily take it all on board then, but it really hit him a little bit later? Sometimes we can have these, what, you know, almost like a delayed reaction is what he's having. And what that means is they simply process it and lock it away. It's a bit like sometimes I tell my clients that some of our thoughts and feelings, it's imagine if you're sitting in a room and a room is lined with all these white shoe boxes and each shoe box has got a thought or a feeling or an experience. Some shoe boxes we lift the lid off and we live vicariously through it and every day we're feeling sad or we're feeling overwhelmed. Other shoe boxes, the lid comes off and on, and some shoe boxes, we put the lid firmly on. And I think it's a really good visual analogy as to what, how we deal with grief or a traumatic event. Some of us just put the lid on the box and shut it down, and then we don't process it. And then all of a sudden, that lid has come off. It might be a smell. It might be a sound. It might be a feeling. It might be something that that person has seen on TV that triggers the lid coming off the box and then they then they have to deal with it. And I saw this um, online actually today. It was someone saying, you know, there's that phrase that time heals all wounds and you're able to move on. But that's not entirely true, especially when you see a dead body or you're dealing with grief. Mm. No, I mean, first of all, you know, there's a couple of stages. One is what's called acute stress disorder. So when we're still seeing something traumatic like a dead body or we've been witness to violence or a car crash or something like that, it is a normal psychological process to go through, you know, perhaps dissociative feelings, sadness, hypervigilance, intrusive thoughts. If they stay with us for a couple of weeks or even a month, it tends to manifest into a disorder called post-traumatic stress disorder, which I think most of us have heard of. Yeah. And that becomes emotional numbing, dissociation. And again, I'll give you an analogy. How I describe um, PTSD to a lot of my clients is if you imagine your brain is a jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces fit very nicely together. When you've had a traumatic experience, again, like looking at a dead body, the parts of the brain, the, 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 the framework of your brain breaks apart. So instead of a nice tight jigsaw, you get broken and great big gaps. The longer those gaps are unattended to, the more space in between each piece that can enter depression, anxiety, mood disorders. And every time you um, experience depression or anxiety, you you reinforce that behaviour. So the ideal situation is to 
get those gaps closed as quickly as possible and get the brain back into a nice, tight jigsaw puzzle again. So we're repeating and reinforcing anxiety and depression the longer it's unattended. So is it, it is better then to talk about these things because I think perhaps in Hugo's case, he, I don't think he spoke to anyone about it at the time. Um, and we tend to do that. We tend to think, oh, I'm being silly. That's not my, you know, I didn't know the person. Yeah. Is it better to talk to people about it? And that's it's kind well, of what we do on this there's podcast. Been a, there's been a, a bit of a shift in the, in the treatment of PTSD. And originally when um, you know, trauma happened, um, they used to say, well, we have trauma counsellors coming straight onto the site and as quickly as possible we talk to people. And people aren't ready. They haven't processed it. So everyone has an individual reaction to how they want to process it. The thought now is to get people back into home, back in stability, back into an ordered life and almost let it unfold. Let them know that they have got support around them. Let them know what options that they have got. Provide support, but don't demand that they talk about it. And certainly they don't have to... The therapy now is shifting away from asking people to talk about it there and then. That's now really deemed as probably quite inappropriate. Some people may want to, but it's not really the the gold standard of therapeutic treatment. Right, so everyone's going to deal with it differently. Yes, yep. Very interesting. Thank you, Sandy. Thank Pleasure. you so much. Oh, and Sandy, before we let you go, have you ever seen a dead body? Not somebody, obviously, in your own family. I, know, or... I did, and, it was, and I, I was thinking of it, and I did. You know, down the end of my street, there was a park, and I saw a girl slumped over the side, oh. and I was just sort of looking at it, just sort of just sort of casually looking at it and then I saw the police come to her and then I saw her whole body oh. limp to the side of the park bench. Oh dear. And I went, oh, and then I read. Then I went on to work and I was sort of quite startled. I didn't see her face, just the back of her and I just saw her then slump over and uh, the police were there and everything and I just sort of went, oh. And it didn't, it sort of did actually rattle me a bit. You yeah. know, I sort of went, what? And, and what I thought was, what's happened to that girl's life? She's on her own. Yes. She's no one's attended to her. It's probably been in the middle of the night and it was in the morning because I was on my way to work. No one has cared for this girl. What's, what's, what are the dynamics that's happened in her life that have led her to this space? Yes. You know? yeah. and, and I think that's also what we think, isn't it? What's going on? There's yeah. fascination. And I think how, that's how? the biggest thing when you see mm. someone that you don't know for yes. strangers is you start thinking about that person's life and who they yes. were and where they yes. went to school and what they yes. were doing there and... It just, the not knowing is worse. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, as I said, the fundamental feature of human nature is being connected, mm. which is why, you know, loneliness is such a de- debilitating um, a feeling for so many people. You know, people in old age homes, people who are single, people who, who you know, who have lost family members, that notion of loneliness. The opposite of loneliness is connectedness. And that's why I think we, we often grieve for people or that we feel so attachment to people who we may not have never, who we previously never met. Yeah. I know that we're meant to be wrapping you up, but I just have one more question. Sure. Do you find that people's uh, grief over animals is just as strong as their grief for humans? Do you know, I think I'm one of those people. Yeah, because I think I'm one of <laughs> those people. <laughs> Same. I have to say, I think I'm one of those. Yes. Can, my youngest daughter is a veterinary surgeon. Right. And I have laid some ground rules. Do not tell me any more stories about animals because I can't cope. Same. Abuse and cruelty. She sees it on a... No wonder there's a high suicide rate. Yes, it is. Yes. Love, you love your pet, love your vet, love your pet is the campaign that's I running know. for vets at the moment, which is fantastic. It's four times the national average in Australia, yeah. isn't it? 
It is. Yeah. And, I mean, I hear from her on a daily basis as a clinic. She works in Launceston and there's, you know, 18 people in the clinic. It's a very big and busy clinic. Yes. And on a daily basis, the abuse from clients, oh. the abuse from clients to animals, mm. the having to put people, animals to sleep, you know, you know and old people, yeah. their loneliness. And it's really, it's an all-consuming area. And as I said, I, I feel more grief and sadness yes. when she tells me these stories. With humans now, I seem to process it. I sort of go, there's a part of me that dissociates. I go, okay, got it, yep, right, done, yeah. they're dead, whatever. Yeah. And then I move on. But yeah. with, with animals, I, I get this over really deep sadness. How can people do this? Yeah. You know? oh. So, yeah. Oh dear! <laughs> Thank you. Just because I, I, <laughs> I feel like though in our society we don't acknowledge that people could be so psychologically affected by the death of an animal, yeah. and I think that you know people would feel stupid to say to a boss, "I just can't come into work because of what's yeah. happened to my dog." Yeah. But I think that that is a real issue. Like it's a sure. real, real hard definitely. thing for people to overcome. Yes, definitely. And I mean, you know, for many people, their animal is their is an integral part of their their family. Yeah. And for many animals, it's their it's their safeguard against loneliness. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. Perfectly summed up. Yeah. Oh, we're big pet lovers on this podcast oh, too. So <laughs> Sandy Ray, you are absolutely fabulous. Thank you so well, much. Good to speak with you both. We Thank appreciate you. your wise counsel. <laughs> we do. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.